Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, July 13th. On today's show, I am joined by our dear friend, Lucky Letcord, podcast host and writer for Tennis Now, Tennis Majors, and oh so many other platforms, Chris Otto, to break down Thursday's women single semifinal matches at Wimbledon were two equally exciting results with both Marketa Vondrosova and Anjabur advancing to the Wimbledon final. That fact, of course, ensures that we will have a first time major champion crowned at this year's Wimbledon on today's show. Chris and I break down each of the semifinal matches, offer our preliminary thoughts on that Wimbledon women's singles final, and then get into previewing tomorrow's men's singles semifinals. It is a conversation I am certain all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to it, a shout out as always to all of you who tune in day in, day out. Hopefully you're checking out all of our podcasts, not just this one, but the Great Shot podcast, the Cracked Interviews podcast, the Breakpoint show where Gil Gross and I break down the recently released Netflix docuseries as well as our newest show, Overserved. I'm excited that our dear friends Joe Pucciarelli, uh, Rachel Stuhlman getting involved with our Crack Rackets team. If you haven't checked that out, be sure to do so as well. Ton of good content all available on our website, CrackRackets.com. So again, if you aren't already, be sure to go check that out. Last but not least, a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point who provide us day in, day out support, make this mini break possible. Of course, the least we can ask you to do is support them as well by buying all of your tennis products at tennis-point.com. Of course, why wouldn't you? You'll find everything you're looking for at the best prices. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get to it. Here's my conversation breaking down semifinal Thursday at Wimbledon with the one and only Chris Otto. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you know him best as the host of the Lucky Let Cord podcast. You've also re- read his work, excuse me, across multiple platforms, whether there be Tennis Now, Tennis Majors, his work for various major events as well. It is one of our dearest friends, Chris Otto, joining us once again. Chris, welcome back to the show. Wimbledon Women Semifinals in the books. How are you feeling, my friend? with three days to go it's a buzz right yeah there is it's exciting (laughs) it is good good times yeah and anytime you have the opportunity to crown a first time slam champion i think that's something that maybe we grew calloused about 
as a tennis populist throughout the 2010s because you did have the reign of Serena. You did have, obviously, the big three dominance at uh, all the men's major events as well. That said, I guess let's get right into it. As you look at our final, Anjabur, Marketa Vondrosova, how shocking is it to you that these are our two final names in the women's singles draw? Oh, half of it's very shocking. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other half, the Tunisian half, not very shocking to me. I felt like, I have to admit, I felt like Gones was coming into her own. I think the thing maybe that held her back more than anything this year and why there was talk of a big three and no mention of Owens Jabour, maybe a little mention of Kritikova when she asked to be mentioned, but no mention of Owens is because she was battling some health issues, not playing at 100%, not playing her best. The first two slams of the year went by. She played well at Roland Garros, but but couldn't get through the quarterfinal with Hadad Maya, but I felt like this was probably the time for her to play well. That draw, however, was brutal. I didn't know if she could come through that. I don't know how anybody has made their way through that. I feel like that was just the most brutal quarter and half of the draw that I've seen in a while. Man, she rose to the challenge. She's playing so well. I'm not surprised. She looks good on the grass. It's it's a perfect fit for her. She's good on all surfaces, but I think Onsimur, I think, is going to go down as a grass court player when it's all said and done. Amazing stuff from her. Well, I'm very happy that's the direction you went because it's one of these rare instances, Chris, where we're going to get to disagree. I'm actually, I think, more surprised by the Jabur side of this equation than I am the Vondrosova. And it starts with a central point you just made. She didn't just have to beat two top 10 players these past two rounds to get to the final. She beat two of the proverbial big three in Arena Sabalenka. By the way, she beats Arena Sabalenka from a set and a breakdown, and we'll get to that in a moment, but she wow. beats Rabakina as well. And to execute her game style, the feel, the slice, the, again, ability to spread the court, to do that against elite power on this surface might be the most difficult to ask in all of tennis. And to see her execute the way that she did, particularly given, as you mentioned, there wasn't a lot of this coming into this Wimbledon from Anjabur. And yeah, a lot of that had to do with the injuries she's dealt with throughout the course of the year. But, you know, again, you look for Jabur here in 2023. Yeah, she had the French Open quarterfinal run, you know, a run to the Charleston title, if you want to throw that in the mix as well. And given she beaten Kasatkina, Benchich, maybe you do. But that's really it. Those are really the only two runs we had to turn to coming into this Wimbledon and to not only play exceptional tennis. And by the way, I sold Jabur short there. She didn't just beat Sabalenka. She didn't just beat Rabakina. She beat a top five contender in Kvitova the round before mm-hmm. either. You are not going to face three game styles better suited for success on grass courts than those three consecutively, and she beat all of them. Yeah. And to do it from a set and a breakdown today as well, when, again, Sabalenka had, what, like four forehand approach shots in that 4-3 service game to take the 5-3 lead. She rushes out to the love 30 lead at 4-all in that second set service game and then has a break point look to retake a 5-4 lead. To go from that, when you could have just said, and I apologize for swearing here, Chris, but I'll it. Like, you know what? I've had a good run. This has been great. Too good from Arena today. She didn't. Yeah. And so I have to take the massive L 
I did not see this run coming, Chris. It's as impressive as it can be. Yeah, I agree. And to say that I'm not surprised that she came through both of those matches from a set down, especially after the first set of each where I was thinking, okay, that's it. Nice try, Owens. You're playing great because the both first sets she lost, I think, were 7-6-5, maybe the same score even to Rubakina and Sabalenka. I'm thinking if you can play that well and not come out with the opening set, you're in big trouble. But a lot of mental toughness. The mental coach, Melanie, has worked for her. Plus, I really like the spot serving, and I really like the quickness and the fast hands and the movement of Jabur to hang with these hard hitters. So many balls were just lasered at her in these last three rounds, and she's so quick. It's like this subtle, almost Federer-esque athleticism where you can hit a ball 100 miles per hour at her, and it's coming back with interest in where she wants to hit it. She didn't try a lot of her, her dainty stuff as well. She was more about getting in the pocket and matching matching up from the baseline a lot of it i think she played really smart i just and, and to say i'm not i'm not surprised would be crazy i am surprised but i had a feeling she was capable of doing something special but the way she's done it just utterly remarkable yeah no i, I think that's very very well said and to watch jabur you know again there was the long exchange in the four-all game. I believe it was on a deuce point where it's a long rally. Sabalenka goes cross-court with a forehand. Jabur has a look at it on the run, down the line, forehand winner. She misses it. She drops on her back. And it did feel proverbially, uh, proverbially excuse me, like, okay, that's the moment where Jabur has given, you're absolutely right, her best punch to Arena Sabalenka. But that power of Sabalenka, it's just too overwhelming on this day. But then it wasn't. And then at 30-all, you get a grass court bad bounce on an approach shot, and Sabalenka sends a forehand cross. And now all of a sudden, Jabur has won the second set. And again, this is where I am acknowledging taking the L. First of all, I'm not saying I haven't considered Jabur a top 10, top 12 player for three years now, because I have. I mean, check the film. Check the stats. No one turns to tennis abstract more frequently than me. But... You look for Anshabur, who, by the way, now, ridiculous 43-12 and 12 at the majors since the start of 2020. It's a mm-hmm. 78% win percentage. She's made week two in eight of those 13 events. She's now made the finals at three of them. Here's the thing, though, and this is where, again, my element of surprise and my taking of L begins. You look at the Wimbledon run. Yes, she beat Mertens, three set wins over Boshkova, Maria, to get to that final. Only one seed on her way to that Wimbledon final. Similarly, U.S. Open, yes, she beat Kudermatova, she beat Rogers, she beat Tomjanovic, who was riding the Serena wave, and ultimately beat a very much in-form Caroline Garcia. Still, none of those are feather-in-the-cap signature wins. You cannot say that anymore. After she beats Kvitova, who was a top five contender coming in. After she beats the defending champion, Elena Rabakina, from a set down. And then, yes, after, of course, she beats Arena Sabalenka from a set and a breakdown. Yeah. I don't know if it's mental. I don't know if it's physical. It's just like, it can't be denied. This is what a tier one resume and tier one results look like. I'm taking the L. I'm putting on Jabur in tier one <laughs> moving forward, Chris. Is that fair? It's fair. I mean, I mean, let me hit you with a few other stats that are just Please. crazy. There's so many. There's there's four former Grand Slam champions she's beaten, three top ten wins in this in this Wimbledon alone. Another one that struck me today that I caught on ESPN, 
13 wins from a set down at the majors since 2018, more than any other WTA player. Seven of those now at Wimbledon. It's like, what? The set down means nothing. I think she's she's nearly 500 in the last five seasons at the slams from a set down. I didn't realize she was doing that well in the, that situation until today. Um, and that also 3-0 and major semifinals. Of course, that comes with a caveat because she could very well be 0-3 in major finals after Saturday. But it doesn't feel that way. I feel I'm getting a strong woman of destiny vibe right here. Yeah. Well, again, you look at the stats from today. Sabalenka, uh, excuse me, Jabur, 74% first serve win percentage. She broke three times on 10 opportunities, you know, only faced three break points herself. 28 winners, 14 unforced errors how well she was capturing the backhand return and taking it early down the line. And you're right, beating Sabalenka to the spot, not with chips, but just beating her with depth, with pace. Man, it was remarkable. And look, I do think before we put the wrap on this match on the other side of the equation for Arena Sabalenka, 40-8 and eight overall in 2023, she'll be just fine. Um, you know, was on the precipice of overtaking world number one, which given how big that deficit was between her and Sviantec to start the uh, the year speaks to the season that she's had. That said, yeah. our dear friend David Kane did point out she's now what made, I think, four major semifinals and in three of them has been up breaks in third sets where or up a set and a break where ultimately she's seen that lead disappear. Are you concerned at all for Sabalenka moving forward? Where are you with her coming out of this Wimbledon? Zero concern. In fact, I'll make a hot pick and say um, she might win the U.S. Open without dropping a set type of thing. Like she might just unleash. Now we're talking. Get rid of all that nervous energy and, to, and just like find another level. Just say I'm tired of close matches and being nervous. I'm just going to win now two and two for the next seven matches. I wouldn't be that surprised. I got nothing to add. I love it. That's I, <laughs> I'm, I'm floating with that take as well. But obviously the day belongs to Jabur and Again, to see the comeback, to see the steadiness, to see the energy. I mean, on Jabur, who had a ton of points to defend down this back half of the season, now she's into a Wimbledon semifinal. Now the delta between her at six and Coco Goff at seven is f- almost 1,500 points. Mm. I mean, spoiler alert, I think she's getting to a third straight WTA Tour Finals, folks. So again, you make three straight Tour Finals, your top eight player three years in a row, your spot in history is secured and now she's a three-time slam finalist as well where she will face in slam number three in her quest for her first slam Marketa Vondrosova of course Vondrosova I would argue I mean equally as impressive in her own right in a three and three victory over Alina Svitolina the 24 year old is now into her second career major final there by the way, shout out to OptaAce, one of my favorite accounts on Twitter. Yeah. Just fires out so many great stats immediately post-match. And, you know, I didn't mention some of the Jabur stats, but I suppose I will now quickly. First women's player to defeat three top 10 opponents in the same Wimbledon since Serena 2012. I think that's good company. Um, Jabur, mm-hmm. first player to win 28-plus grass court matches in a three-year span since Sharapova, 0406. Yeah, that's pretty good as well. I mean, again... As you get to Vondrosova now, though, second lowest ranked player to reach the women's singles final in Wimbledon since the WTA rankings were introduced. Only Serena was lower. She's the fourth left-handed player following Ann Jones, Martina Navratilova, and Monica Seles to reach a final at Wimbledon. Three and three over Svitolina. I think Svitolina's Achilles heel all tournament is that she had gotten away serving decently, but not great. 
And Vondrosova just made her pay. Six breaks of serve in nine service games for Svitolina. What what about the lefty, in your opinion, Chris, makes her so effective on this surface? I guess just craft and the ability to throw her opponents off just like every other surface. I just don't get how she has such a dismal record on grass coming into this season and then completely turns it around. Uh, Was it just her own comfort level? I mean... You know, we check the stats before each grass court season, looking at who's had success prior, you know, knowing that experience counts on this surface. You don't even so much as gloss over Vondrosova. She was so bad on the surface prior to this year. You'd never think, well, maybe she's capable of a surprise. There was a little bit of, uh, there was a run to the quarters at Berlin that maybe showed she's doing something well. But honestly, I didn't give her much thought. I don't know how she's really been able to do it. It's remarkable. She's 8-1 and one on grass now this year. Yeah, and... We talked about Kvitova, Rabakina, Sabalenka, that's a murderer's row. How about this? Kudermatova, Vekic, Boshkova, Pagula, Svitolina. That's a yeah. five-match run for Marketa Vondrosova. And look, I, I've been beating the drum for a year now. For me, it's always been, is she healthy? If she is, yeah. she's one of the 20 best players in the world. And now 30-10 and 10 overall on the year. I joke around, you look at the 10 losses, it's to players like Sabalenka, Sakari. Rabakina, you know, Kirstea at Miami, where Kirstea looked like one of the five best players in the world. There's just not, there hasn't, you've had to be really good, I suppose, to beat Marketa Vondrosova this season, even if she didn't have the definitive run to a quarterfinal or semifinal at a significant event until this week. But this is the week it all came together. And it's Kenan-esque, it's Jabur-esque, and just, it's different. Than what you're typically seeing. Whatever you want to do most on the court, Marketa Vondrosova takes that away. And that means if you're someone who wants to play with heavy pace through the center of the court, she's yanking yeah. into the outer third. She's playing the drop shots. In an instance yes. today against Fidelina, I just thought she outgunned her. Like, I just thought she was like, okay, if you're not going to hurt me and you're going to keep me in the middle third, I'm going to drop shot lob you to death. It's just... Yeah. It's that, it's that, for me, that's what it is. It's she takes away what you want to do best. Yeah, I think that's well said. She's so crafty and she has a great drop shot and she'll use it at any time. She gives you no rhythm. It's just, you know, it's, there's, of course, we're surprised that she hasn't been able to win on grass, but it certainly makes sense. And, and like you said, three wrist surgeries, I think, to get things, to get her body finally right this year. She's always been a really good player and just a nightmare for people to play against. We should mention, however, that Jessica Jessica Pagula was a point from going up a double break on her in the third and let that one slip. And that's just that's just what shows you how quickly these matches can turn at this level. And full credit to Vondrosova, who turned that match down and took advantage of an opportunity gifted to her by Pagula, who missed that backhand at 4-1 to go up 5-1. And then from there, it was all Vondrosova. Just, you know, like she's got a little bit of the woman of destiny thing going for her. She's really mellow. A lot like Rybakin in terms of her demeanor, just totally chill out there and just taking care of business. And everybody was thinking about Svitolina coming in this match and an incredible run by her, really, you know, amped up her aggression, has become a better player, I think, in many ways after returning to the tour, after giving birth to her baby daughter, Sky. But, I mean, it's all Vondrosova. And and, and I think people are going to overlook her in terms of what, as we look at storylines and we look into this final, but she's definitely in there with a very good chance to, to wreak this the the havoc that only she can wreak. 
Yeah, I'm going to report this now. She's your 2023 comeback player of the year. And actually, that race gets fun now between her, between Mukova. Mm. How about this? I'm going to report it's going to a check. I'm just I'm reporting yeah. that now, Chris. Breaking news here at the Mini Break Podcast. It's the it's the physicality, the movement to do all of the things she wants to do. And yeah, she's been drop shot lobbing people clearly since she was like nine, ten years old. You can just you're just like that's the play. I do think the new wrinkle to twenty twenty three Vondrosova, and maybe this is a byproduct of hey, like I've had all these injuries. I gotta make life a little easier for myself. The serves become a little bit of a cannon. Just how yeah. well she hits. Uh, it's a little bit spot serving, but it's got some chutzpah to it as mm-hmm. well, Chris. Yeah. It's it's just a it's two very complete players heading into our women's singles final who can again B C D E plan you as well as anyone out there in women's tennis. What's your lean? What are you looking at as we approach this women's singles final? Yeah, it's. I think Owens is, is the one. You know, I think it's there for her to win. She's going to have to really make an adjustment and stop and 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 face a totally different player than she's faced in the last three rounds. Maybe facing Bianca Andreescu, I think um, earlier in this tournament will help her. But it just feels like um, she's got the mojo going right now. But they both do. I expect it to be a little bit of a seesaw battle. I got, but I'll, I have Owens coming coming through in three again. I that's the number three sets. 6-3 in the third, someone. Mm-hmm. I'm just debating doubling down on my Jabir doubt and just being like, look, I've ridden this wave of doubt the entire tournament. I don't want to change the juju heading her direction as she really does feel like a person of destiny, to your point. Yeah. It's a feel good no matter what. And I do think lost in the chaos of this past five years of parody in the women's game, it's like, well, you know, Jabir is in her third final. You know, Vondrosova is in her second final. Like, it's not crazy for someone who makes multiple slam finals to win a slam. And so I do think mentally I'm prepared for either winner. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jabir already got a Netflix uh, episode at Wimbledon. So I guess for the sake of new content, you'd root for Vondrosova. But it's a win-win. Like, no matter what, I agree with you. It's a really fun story coming out of the women's singles final. They both have had to overcome so much. I think we're getting good tennis. I think we're getting three sets. I'll pick Vondrosova just so that we can differ here. I like it. Because, I like again, it. I, I think it's absolutely a toss-up. Men's semifinal previews. Before I let you go, I want to talk about each of these matches because I tweeted this out yesterday. I know 2019 French Open, top four seeds, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal team all reached the semifinals. But I don't know. This feels 2012 Australian Open-esque to me in the sense that we have. Alcaraz, Medvedev, Djokovic for Sinner. To me, these are the four best guys in the world right now. When they're healthy, when they're playing their best, I think every tournament runs through them. Go look at the Sunshine Swing. Go look at all the majors. Go look at Carlos's 45-4 and record, Chris, which I always like to joke around when people say people don't talk enough about it. It's like, well, who are these people that you would like to talk more about it? Because, you know, there's only nine of us, and I know six of us are talking about it. So let's relax. But... I mean, 45 and four, and he turned 20 in May. Like, what are we doing? I just, we can stop everything. I know Djokovic might actually win a calendar slam this year, which is more impressive, but 45, yeah, 45 and four (laughs) at age 20. You're just like, yeah. Every storyline you want, you have it here. The Medvedev resurgence, getting back to where he belongs, the business end of a grand slam. 
Which of the matches intrigues you more and why? Wow. I mean, they're both, they're both yeah. amazing dream semis. I guess I'm intrigued by Yannick mm-hmm. and whether or not he can find a way to, to, you know, ruffle Djokovic's feathers a little bit before the tournament. I was, you know, pretty much thinking that Novak's going to be unstoppable. Seen him have a few struggles. You know, Hubie Hercutch really served him off the court for a while. It was pretty impressive. Hubie was playing great, by the way. I mean, ridiculously great. I don't think any, any mere mortal could could do a better job returning against him than Novak did. But, you know, he, it seems like as the tournament has progressed, I can see Sinner having a chance against Novak a little bit more than I thought he might have. And that's intriguing. And, and I want to see Yannick continue to progress and continue to grow. I don't expect him to win this match, but I think he can take a step and make this competitive. And I wouldn't have really imagined that before the tournament began. On the other side, though, I'm equally intrigued because Daniil, the serving that he showed in the fourth set against Chris Eubanks and, and then in the fifth set finishing that match off, shows me that he's ready to do something big. And, you know, you get that, you get that feeling from Medvedev when he's just all of a sudden no matter what happens in a match, he can dig himself out of trouble with, with just courageous serving and ball striking. I'm thinking, this is good. The one worry I have for Medi is that he's got to move over to center court. He's already talked about it like three times that he prefers court number one. I'm thinking, stop saying that, Daniel. You're fine. I hope he doesn't jinx himself and, and play a bad match because if he does, Carlos is going to be all over him. We saw how Carlos can, can handle him from the baseline in the Indian Wells final. But they're both intrigued to answer your question. Long answer. No, perfect answer. The word smothering is how what I would use to describe Alcaraz on these grass courts. It's just if he's on top of a forehand, there was a look Holger Runa gave to his box as if to say, like, what do you want me to do? Because I'm doing it. And like he is still beating me. And you do think with how tentative Medvedev can be in his return positioning, there's a world where Alcaraz, I know Medvedev beat him at Wimbledon a couple of years ago, but there's a world where Alcaraz just smothers Medvedev from a matchup perspective. But I, and, and, and by the way, I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the case. I want to get back to that match in a second. I would agree with you here. I think Djokovic Sinner is the more interesting match because watching Yannick Sinner play on this surface, and I've mentioned it earlier, the pace of every ground stroke that he hits. I just don't know what you can do as his opponent, but pop that ball up and give him more time to inflict his will upon you. And that's where, well, you know, again, if you're a normal human, that's what you're going to do. But Novak Djokovic isn't normal. And that's where you enter the Djokovic side of the equation, who, by the way, was two sets to love down against Yannick Sinner last year and found a way to somehow on a grass court go into backboard mode. And I know Sinner's level started to dip as well. But it's just the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. Very much a fun contrast. And, you know, Djokovic is Djokovic on the return of serve. But the way Yannick Sinner, how quick he is with his hands to get around and get on top of a ball on a return of serve on this surface in particular, he can impose his will a little bit with that return as well. And I think Djokovic is going to have to serve the way he did in sets two, three, and four against Hercots if he wants to, you know, again, have a routine, uh, get through this match, not even a routine match, but just get through this one in the semis. Again, career head-to-head, Djokovic 2-0 overall. 
Let me ask you this. What does a Yannick Sinner win look like? Like, Just if we're, if we're playing the imagination game, what, what does it look like? It'll have to look a little bit like the Medvedev win in the 2021 U.S. Open final where you're just he comes out and storms him and is doing all the things you mentioned early and takes the set. And then he just keeps keeps that momentum, never takes his foot off the accelerator. And Novak, maybe the pressure, maybe having an off day after what winning 700 million Grand Slam matches in succession just isn't there. I think that's what it would look like. Yeah, I it is. It's just one of those out-of-body days where he's just swinging freely and saying, you know what? I'd rather lose missing than lose because yeah. you, it, that's the only it, – it's either you lose missing or you're losing for sure. Um, and here's the thing, though. Have we seen no I, – I, you mentioned the Hercots match, so that's the one I want to go to. That's the fear is just we saw Novak turn it on uh, against Hubie when he needed to. Yes. And and just the same thing, set number two against Rublev. It was, okay, it's time to turn it on. And I guess the question is, how quickly does he have to be turned on against Sinner? And is Sinner going to be capable of making him pay? Because if you're Yannick Sinner, right, it's like, have to win the first set. Mm. I think he's playing well enough to do it. I guess that would be the crux of my argument is why I think this is the most intriguing match is I think Sinner's playing well enough to get that first set lead and then you know you're getting the Djokovic response and then we have a war. Yeah, no, I think to answer your question, how quickly does Novak have to do it? I think he can fall back two sets to love again as long as he finds that magic where he has every single tool to counter every single tool every other player in the history of the sport has. He can do it when he gets in that mindset. He just needs to be 100% of himself to win the match, which I think he will do, and I think he will win. But there there is a possibility that he's, again, what happened in the 2021 U.S. Open, it all just became too much for him, and it does every so often. And if that happens and Yannick does – Redline his game, plays that low-margin, unbelievable, jaw-dropping, mind-boggling tennis that we know he's capable of, and there's a scenario, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I will say, looking at the stats, and Bill Simmons in the Book of Basketball wrote about Michael Jordan 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, etc. Novak Djokovic 4.0 is kind of a serve bot, and we haven't seen him turn up the serve bot other than the Hercots match really so far this Wimbledon. There's a world where he's just hitting all of his spots and – He's Novacking it up. And yeah, by the way, people don't talk enough about the fact he's nine wins away from winning the calendar slam at age 35, mm-hmm. 36. What are we doing here? I don't know, Chris. All right. Last, last question for you. Alcaraz Medvedev. I think we all now know what a Carlos Alcaraz win looks like. And again, the serve, the forehand, it's an elite combination on this surface. What's a Medvedev win look like in your mind? And how likely are we to see that? Mm. I don't think we're that likely. Yeah. I think he's got to he's got to have that that chip on his shoulder, that attitude, that swagger, that that serve has to be really raining down and has to be something that Alcaraz can't handle for long stretches of the match for him to roll through his service games easily and often win a couple breakers. That's the scenario. It's, it seems like the the less likely scenario. By the way, let me circle back to Djokovic, please. The serving and the fact that I think he's won how many tiebreakers at slams this year? All of them. In a, in all a row, of the breakers. Yeah. Or something? Crazy. Something like that. 
So the fact that he's become a better server every year, by the way, kids, like, you know, look at look at this guy who, who three years ago was already one of the best players in the world and continued to get better on, on certain elements of his game to where now he's like the, the best. He's like a Federer-esque spot server. He's ridiculous on serve what he wants to be. So, all right, enough about that. But, yeah, it's going to be tough for Medi. But, like, I, again, I, I got that feeling from him that he's ready to do some magic, that um, he's finally – Got something going at a slam, which he wasn't. He's had such a good year with five titles, 46 wins on the year, but but unable to do anything at the slams. Tiago Sebov Wild or Wheatfield took him out in the first round. So this is his chance to make hay. And, you know, maybe he capitalizes on those on the and the tight moments and inevitably will be there in this match. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to it. I think he got away with playing not to lose against Eubanks. And, you know, again, you could argue Alcaraz is better at executing the serve plus one combination than even Chris Eubanks is on this serve. Mm-hmm. You just will not get away with that against Carlos. You're absolutely right. It starts with the serve for Medvedev. I do think he's going to win this match, though. That's my Whoa. hot take going Whoa. into it. I just – Alcaraz is so aggressive as a returner. And, I mean, he has been locked in, uh, just so locked in uh, from the start of this match. But he's also had a lot of time with that plus one forehand against the opponents he's faced. He hasn't faced someone like Daniil Medvedev who will say, you know what, I'm going six feet behind the baseline. I'm getting a clean rip. How well are you going to time this plus one forehand on a grass court? Now, we've seen Alcaraz serve in volley. Again, Alcaraz is perfectly capable of taking advantage of the tentativeness of Daniil Medvedev. I just mm-hmm. think Medvedev's going to— fi- I just don't think we've seen Medvedev play his best thus far. And I think this is the match where he finally comes in as an underdog. Or, you know, he hasn't faced a seed thus far in this event. This is the first seed he's facing, and it's the top seed. I just think he plays a little more freely— <laughs> Even as that came out of my mouth, though, I'm like, actually, I think Alcaraz is going to win in four. Um, Yeah, it's tough. It's just like he has to play a perfect match. That's the problem. He's certainly capable. I mean, another thing about Carlos, though, his development on grass for for a 20-year-old has been remarkable. I think, you know, we're going to see a decade of a lot of success for him. He's, He's got all the tools. Mm-hmm. He's he's really well built for the surface. He's embraced it from day one. I think he's fourteen and two lifetime on grass right now. That is not a, a very Spaniard number, Spanish number, right? Yeah, no. It's again, he won a title in Queens Club. Looked really good doing it. Like the guy's the real deal on every surface. I, I've said it throughout the course of these two weeks: hard courts, clay courts, grass courts, shredded glass around the court. You can play on sand. You put him on pebbles. Mm-hmm. He'll find a way. Carlos Alcaraz. It's just that special as a tennis yeah. player, and it's always that special when we have you on the show as well, my friend. So before I let you go, plug away. What can we expect from you? Where can everyone find your work? Tennis now, jamming for tennis now. I'm writing. Uh, I'm like a. Ch- I'm like a Chat GPT. I'm just cranking out <laughs> articles left and right. Uh, tennis majors, tennis now, right now, uh, and uh, tweeting when I can. Yeah. So I appreciate. Uh, having the chat with you, I always like to talk nuts and bolts. You're, you're, you're the maestro, man. Uh, they're too kind. You're better looking, Chat GPT. We'll go full circle here to a comment mm-hmm. I made before we started. Better looking, Chat GPT. Well, Chris Otto, it is always a pleasure. Be safe, be healthy. We will talk Thanks, to you soon. Thanks, Alex. 
Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with our dear friend Chris Otto. A thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. We certainly look forward to having him back on in the future. And again, if you aren't already, follow him at The Fanchild on Twitter. Read his work, Tennis Now, Tennis Majors, wherever he's writing. You're going to be smarter as a tennis fan for reading it. So again, a thank you to Chris for taking the time to chat with us today. Of course, we will be back tomorrow and every day throughout the course of this Wimbledon to keep you updated on everything that occurs at the year's third major. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, for the of an ending job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for the fantastic Chris Otto, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.